Hi, everyone, and welcome to Murder and Merlot. We're a true crime book club podcast. I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Michelle. How's it going, Michelle? It's going really well. Is it? That's it great. is. Yeah, had a good week. Got a good sunburn. Yes, know. looking very crisp. Yeah, just on one side, but it's yeah, it's a look. Sore. Yeah, it's a look. But I planted like I don't even know how many trees I planted yesterday. I was helping build a shelter belt of trees, nice. and then I planted my garden today. So that's good. That's yeah. outside time. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, fresh air. Yeah, and it's beautiful out. It's May long weekend. For us and it Canadians hasn't snowed yet. That's true. It always snows it on May long, snows. but. Knock on wood. I don't have any wood around here, but there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want it to snow, but it's something that literally always happens every single year. But you know, now that people aren't really out camping and stuff, of course, this year it's not going to snow. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, great. So, thanks, weather. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How are things with you? Uh, good. Uh, I want to apologize for taking a week off, but life happens. Absolutely. Everything just always seems to fall on one weekend and that's kind of what happened. And our last episode was taking a while to edit and I wasn't having enough time to write this episode. And I wanted to put the time into this episode because I just love this case so much that I wanted to do it justice. So I didn't want to rush through it and just piece shit together because I can do that. Like I'm, that's how I did all of my schoolwork. (laughs) It's just like last minute, just word vomit, get it done. And I was usually like, pretty good at it but for this I wanted to do a good job so I wanted to take that time and and do it right and it was my birthday so I was kind of in a fuck it it's my birthday mentality (laughs) so plus it was Mother's Day and it was Mother's Day so many things and it's fine and I I'm just not gonna not go see my mom on Mother's Day so right and I had to make her a gift and all the things so I just yeah didn't want to rush it Oh, you're a good daughter. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I painted her a, a picture of a succulent because the last succulent that I bought for her immediately died, <laughs> even though they're not <laughs> supposed to die. Hers did. So I'm like, well, I'm going to stop buying you those things. So here's a nice painting of one instead. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. That's but, cute. Yeah, it was good. But yeah, it was a good week. Um, I mean, it didn't feel like I had a week off. I didn't really have a week off because work was absolutely insane but it was of course nice to just be able to go home in the afternoons at least and just kind of crash yeah because I needed that (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah excellent all right any other current events no I don't think so excellent well then let's talk about our last episode that we posted which was so much fun it was the Is Doc Antle a Cult Leader episode, which I love so much. <laughs> and our fluff and stuff question was, would you rather lose an arm or a leg? And we had some pretty good responses with that one. Yes, we did. So we wanted to shout out a few of our favorite responses. On Facebook, um, my bestie, my very best bestie of all besties, um, Garth, <laughs> said leg left leg to be exact it would end a lot of sports for me but my arms are way more important and i can finally be an actual pirate with a peg leg 
That's fantastic. <laughs> I just wanted to take a minute and give Bessie a huge shout out because he has been our number one cheerleader. Mm-hmm, since absolutely. Day. He was the person that I was most excited to tell about our podcast. And as soon as he knew it was happening, he's like, I'm on board. He sent us an email on our very first day. He's always sharing our posts and he's just awesome. So thank you, Bestie. We love you. Thank you. I've never met you, but I love you so much. You're like the nicest person ever. <laughs> oh, he totally wants to meet you. It's a I, I want to talk about spooky things with you. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that just wants to have a casual chat about Charles Manson, like, I'm here. I'm here for it. You can come talk to him a lot. And he's like, let's talk about Manson. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Anytime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another great response we got was from Angela and she voted arm. So of course I needed to know why in the world you would rather lose an arm than a leg. (laughs) So she explained because I can't sit still without a leg. Moving around would be way too hard. I love to run and play soccer. I also would have one really jacked arm to show off. <laughs> and I know Angela, and this actually makes a lot of sense. I, she would do better without <laughs> an arm than a leg. She, yeah, she needs to run. She was in quarantine the same time as I was, and she was going nuts. <laughs> so this actually makes a lot of sense. This is the only arm answer that I will accept. <laughs> Yes. And having the excuse to have one really jacked arm. Okay, fine. Imagine the arm wrestling competitions you could win. It's true. Like you could probably make some money. I don't know. Would you be able to get the same amount of leverage with only one? Well, that's true. I don't know. I mean, there is a lot of, yes, there's a lot of technique with arm wrestling. You got to put your Mm. other arm at their elbow and yeah, no, you're right. That might be challenging, but Mm. I think Angela could do it though. (laughs) Yeah. I think she could too. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So thank you to everyone that answered our question and we would love to hear from more of you. Uh, We always post our questions on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So make sure to respond and we might even uh, shout you out on the podcast. So that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. So now for part two of the Raymond torture killings case using the book, If You Tell by Greg Olson as a guideline. Buckle up. It's going to get really real in here. <laughs> Very real. Yes. Okay, friends, grab your glass and get cozy. Let's book club it up. Tink, tink. <laughs> what you drinking? Um, I'm not drinking wine tonight, which is kind of weird. I think I recognize that can. It's a Bud Light strawberry lemonade. Yeah. Is it good? Uh, it's not beer. Okay, but it's drinkable. Good. Yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, it's. I'm sure it does taste fine, but the thought of beer, fruity beer, is kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> it has a a bit of a beer flavor to it. My husband hates it. He thinks it's disgusting because he's course. a beer snob. Yeah, he but, would, of course. That's understandable, right? It's but a very girly us. drink. Yeah, it's a very girly drink. But yeah, I'm part of this wine ninja group. I don't know if you've heard about oh, the wine. I have ninjas heard of it. Yeah, I've heard about it, but I I haven't participated, but yeah. Yes, and I just had this dropped on my doorstep, so that's there was a bottle of wine in there, too, so I was like, yeah. Do you want to explain what the Wine Ninja is for those? Oh, yeah, so um, there's there's an Alberta group, and there's now just a specific group, because the Alberta one is getting kind of 
crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, just so many women. Yeah. Um, but they're all like, give me wine (laughs) and they're loving to like give each other wine. It's just anonymous store drops basically. So you ninja somebody and you have their address and you just drop a bottle of wine on their, on their porch and basically play Nikki, Nikki nine door, ring their doorbell and run like hell. So they can't see you. That's fun. (laughs) I know it's great. And Des had no idea that I joined this group. And so he went to the door when like somebody knocked on our door and he was like, what is happening? Like what? He's like, somebody just ran across our lawn and like hauled ass into their car and sped away. And I was like, I got ninja'd. (laughs) And he was like, what the fuck? (laughs) And it wasn't just wine. Like I got a bottle of wine. I got a couple of these Bud Light things. I got some chips and some chocolate and some bubbles just a sweet little note and and it's just like sweet whatever you can do people are paying it forward and it's super fun i've dropped a couple bottles of wine off here and there so oh that's so fun it's super fun super wholesome nice yeah <laughs> i can't and really of course like because i'm out in the middle of, the, of nowhere so but that's okay <laughs> and you don't really want people knowing where you live i honestly don't at all <laughs> yeah yeah it's fine yeah but of course like i've seen in groups that people are like, are women actually like giving out their addresses? Like, oh my God, like what a true crime risk, right? And they're right. like, but all of our addresses are public knowledge. Like you could just drop That's a true. bottle of wine off on anybody's door. That's true. Yeah. You can figure that you shit out. You do it to my neighbor. Yeah. You know, she's a lady, you know, like. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> and it's fun. And just people are just loving giving and. Yeah. Just have a, don't be a bad person and don't take advantage of that. Like how hard it right? is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw a video on Facebook earlier and a guy was going up to a door. He puts the package on the doorstep and he's all sneaky. He knocks on the door and he runs away really fast. And then the people video in the car is like, where are the people? Why aren't they coming out? And then a couple of minutes later, he comes around and it was the same dude. He just went into his own house and was like, ah, oh, look at this package. <laughs> he did it to himself. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. There is apparently um, a men's group and it's is like it, the, is it whiskey? the whiskey warrior. Yeah, he did the whiskey yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. That's what that Yeah. Was. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> yeah. The wine ninjas and the whiskey warriors. Oh, yeah. We're all coming out of this alcoholics. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't think I'll go too hard on the wine tonight because I went a little too hard the other night and I'm just recovering. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. I'm so. also not going to go too hard on my Bud Light, so yeah, I drank too many margaritas yesterday. Mm, yes, I mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> played uh, our first game of beer darts the other night, which is nice. super fun. Do you play beer darts? No. Do you know what it is? I'm not good at regular darts, so. <laughs> I, it's so weird because like in it's like a normal like everybody does this like as soon as it's nice out this is a thing that everybody does but then I've noticed like outside of, of our town is just people don't know about it so you just sit in a, a huge group we were social distance because like you sit out far away oh I've totally time. I've totally witnessed this as soon, yeah I have witnessed it it's totally different to play it so yeah you <laughs> Sit in the large group circle, you shake your beer, put it in front of you, and then you throw darts at each other's beers. And then if you hit somebody's beer with a dart, then they have to shotgun it. You have to shotgun it. That's right. Open. So the game gets gets a little crazy, but it's like, yes. as soon as 
the weather is nice, it's like, ah, it's beer dart weather. We got to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that was pretty fun. So I did try those Bud Light thingies there, but I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're not bad. Nice. That's good. They're nice on a hot day too. They're just like, that's true. Like a summertime drink. drink. Yeah. Nice. All right. Enough with the chit chat. My drinking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. And again, so for this episode, we wanted to put a warning out as this story contains graphic depictions of abuse to adults and children. It's impossible to discuss the story and the case without delving into the nitty gritty of it all. So please listen with caution. And if you're a victim of domestic violence or abuse or suspect that it may be happening to someone you know, please reach out to the Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-387-5437, the National Domestic Abuse Hotline, 1-800-799-7233, call 911 if violence is in progress or imminent, or contact your local police or RCMP detachment for assistance if there's not an immediate concern for you or someone else's safety, for example, if you're in a safe place unknown to your abuser. Thanks, Michelle. So let's give a quick recap for what we discussed in part one. We went through the early life of Michelle Shelley Notek, described by her stepmother, Laura. Shelley was always a very difficult and manipulative kid, from putting broken glass in people's shoes to faking a suicide attempt in order to get a new car, or by lying about being raped by her father in order to wreck his reputation. She was all around a bad person from the start. Her biological mother was murdered when she was 13. However, she did not seem to care. She went on to have three different children with three different husbands, lastly being Dave Notek. He became her third husband and her puppet when it came to punishing her children or other house guests. In addition to the three girls, Nikki, Sammy, and Tori, their cousin Shane also came to live with the Noteks. He was trying to get off the streets as he was in a bad family situation, However, later he would discover that maybe it wouldn't have been as bad as the hellhole he ended up in. When Shelley's best friend Kathy moved in with them to help around the house and to help with the new baby Tori, that is when things got really bad. Kathy was abused over the next five years, either by Shelley or by another member of the family, um, however, always directed by Shelley, as she liked to have the others do her dirty work. She was drugged starved, abused, and tortured until her eventual death in July of 1994. In the end, Kathy was so weak that she couldn't move, and she was left in the basement while she choked on her own vomit. She was discovered by Dave and Shane in her last moments, but there was nothing they could do to save her. Michelle's instructions, Dave and Shane cremated the body in the backyard and disposed of her remains. So that's pretty much where we left off in part one. One thing I wanted to mention, but it slipped my mind, um, last episode was Dave's reasoning for not calling the ambulance when he discovered Kathy in dire straits. Of course, he didn't want uh, Shelly to get in trouble, but he also said that he didn't want to put the kids through that trauma. Uh, pardon? <laughs> right. Like, so apparently it was less traumatizing to A, have the kids witness and unwillingly participate in the abuse and torture of Kathy over five years until she died, leave the kids in the house to find her body while Shelly and Dave are outside trying to come up with a game plan, make Shane help Dave dispose of Kathy's dead body, and de-force Shane and Nikki to sift through the fire pit for four days to pick out any remaining pieces of Kathy's body so there wouldn't be any traces of evidence left. 
Yeah, that's not traumatic at all. No, not at all. And I'm pretty sure I could have gone through the whole alphabet here, but oh my God, it's so frustrating. So anyways, I thought that was just, just shows how naive Dave is. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, something. Something. And I know we literally just got started, but I was Googling cremation and I just had to share the questions people commonly asked about it because, wow, I am so concerned. (laughs) So Michelle, here is what the people want to know. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) Oh, you should be. Don't read ahead. It is so funny. (laughs) Does the body feel pain during cremation? Do your teeth explode? (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Do your teeth explode when cremated? Does God approve of cremation? Does the skull burst during cremation? How soon after you die do you poop? (laughs) Can dead bodies cry? Can my family keep my skull? Can you eat human ashes? Wow. Whoa. Can you keep a dead body in a coffin in your home? Not recommended. Who eats dead bodies? (laughs) How do you cure cannibalism? Oh, my. What happens? (laughs) What happens when humans eat brains? I know, but (laughs) it's not good. Mad cow. Uh, And lastly, do you smell lemons when you die? That escalated way fast. Yeah, that went from cremation to cannibalism real quick. I was blown away. These just, they just, I was scrolling and they just kept coming up with more and more questions. And I'm like, these aren't even about cremation anymore. But man, was it entertaining. So that's hilarious if you're looking and for remind- something to deep dive into just google cremation yeah and remind me um when you die i'm gonna come delete your search history yeah fair enough i think about that yeah. all the time whenever i like open a new tab and i just see like a list of all the serial killers that i've like <laughs> i just have open and i'm just like man this is so weird <laughs> or like when you go to type something into google and google's like let's see how twisty she's gonna get today yeah like right? i'm just gonna feel this one out <laughs> but we're not talking about jeffrey Dahmer today so let's move on no. <laughs> okay so now we're starting part two of the raymond torture killings for real so once kathy's body was disposed of the family of course needed a cover story well, Shelley was great at fabricating stories and implanting ideas into people's heads, so she started working on the cover-up right away. It was crucial that all members of the Notech family knew that Kathy had actually left with her trucker boyfriend named Rocky. When Shane responded that Kathy did not leave with Rocky, she shot back, How would you know? Well, Shane helped get rid of the physical body. I'm pretty sure he has a good idea of what happened, but... Regardless, it wasn't worth the fight, so Shane backed down and agreed with Shelly. And this gave little Sammy a bit of hope that Kathy was actually still alive. It all had just been a nightmare. But of course, that was not the case. Poor little Sammy. Poor girl. The details of Shelly's elaborate fictional story became a common pop quiz that everyone needed to know six ways to Sunday. She obsessed over it and had to be certain that everyone was convinced of this runaway story including Kathy's family. 
So she went as far as forcing Nikki to forge letters, pretending to be Kathy, and making Dave drive all the way to Canada to mail them. And now here in Alberta, we measure distance by travel time. So from what I can tell, he would have had to drive at least four hours to mail these letters. But then, after all of that, Shelley changed her mind and made Dave retrieve the letters from the Lorenos family mailbox. So he had to sit outside and watch the mail get delivered so he could swoop in and grab the letters. So <laughs> she's just going a little bit crazy. Crazy. Like, weird doesn't ideas. even begin to cover it. No. Yeah. <laughs> she decides to call Kathy's mother and invite her over instead. Like, that's a great idea. But yeah. Luckily for Shelly, um, she did such a good job of separating Kathy from her family and making them disown her that they weren't interested in visiting at that time. That's really sad. It is really sad. But they distanced her so much and they thought that, you know, she was being rude. She's not reaching out. She didn't want to be a part of their family anymore. So they're like, mm -hmm. fine, <laughs> we're not going to be a part of your life either. Yeah, sad. She was now satisfied that the family was not going to be a problem, so she shifted her focus to the neighbors. Convinced that they must have heard or smelt something, Shelley made Nikki spy on them for the entire summer, hide in their crawl spaces, listen to their conversations, and trail them around town. So obviously Shelley is losing it and getting quite paranoid. The Rocky runaway story is still plan A, but she decides as a backup, if anyone finds out about the murder, she is going to pin it on Shane. This all went on for months after Kathy's death, and Shane couldn't take it anymore. He and Nikki were always talking about escaping, but now Shane was serious, and he had to get out of there. The punishments had been increasing, and Shelley continued to insist that Shane was going to tell. Dave didn't think he would, however, so Shelley had to come up with evidence to prove that he could not be trusted. One day, when Dave arrived home, she produced a bloody pair of panties she claimed that she found in the woodshed. She told him that they were Tories and Shane had been abusing her. Of course, Shane denied it, and all the girls were positive that the allegations were false. They had seen Shelley plant evidence to prove her points many times in the past, such as cutting her hair to prove that she had cancer, or hiding food under Kathy's bed to prove that she was sleep eating. But that night, Shelley continued to press Dave until he beat Shane. Shortly after that, Shane was gone. It was February of 1995, and no one heard him leave in the night. All that was left was a birdhouse he made at shop class and a note that said, I love you, Mom. However, no one other than Shelley had seen this note. Nikki wasn't buying it. She knew that he would never leave a gift and a loving note for Shelley. But Sammy reminded her that he was always running away. This time seemed different, though. Anytime Shane ran away... Shelley looked far and wide and always tracked him down. This time, the search was brief. Soon after his disappearance, Shelley reported to the family that Shane had made contact and was doing just fine. In fact, he made it all the way up to Kodiak Island in Alaska, working his dream job on a fishing boat. He would continue to call after that, though it was always when the girls were away at school. Since both Kathy and Shane were now gone from the no-tech house, Nikki became the main target once again. Almost daily, she would be locked outside in the freezing cold, usually naked. Once when doing chores outside in her underwear, Shelley came at her with a knife, pinned her to the ground, and sliced her leg open. It needed stitches, but of course she couldn't go to the hospital, so nothing was done about it, and the attack was never acknowledged again. 
Like most of the abuse, the reason for the attacks had either been so insignificant that they were forgotten or the girls didn't even know what had triggered their mother in the first place. Since being locked out of the house was such a regular occurrence, the girls began hiding clothing and blankets in the chicken house to keep warm at night. Once Sammy found Nikki in the chicken house crying and laughing as she had just tried to hang herself, but the attempt had obviously failed. Sammy understood, and sometime later, she too tried to kill herself by eating poisonous berries. Poor girls. Mm -hmm. Shelly didn't like the girls spending time together, especially now that they were growing up and getting bigger. The two younger girls were always told that Nikki was a bad influence, even though that was far from the truth. Since Nikki was pretty much forced to live outside, doing chores all day and getting locked out all night, it wasn't too difficult to segregate the girls. Sammy also didn't have it quite as bad as her older sister. She too would be abused, but she was never Shelley's favorite target, and she at least had a social life. That was certainly not the case for Nikki, though. She had tried to get away from the house by enrolling in a community college to earn a degree in criminal justice. That didn't last long, however, as Shelley took away her school clothes, money, and transportation. She was also being forced to sleep on the floor in Kathy's old spot and had to shower outside with a hose. Also, I think it's very interesting that she was going to go in for criminal justice. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Too bad she, she didn't. She wasn't able to. Right. It was time she started fighting back. Compliance clearly didn't help minimize the abuse, so she decided to start speaking up. She had refused one of Shelley's demands, and that, of course, set her mother off. She started chasing Nikki through the house and the yard. She caught Nikki, got on top of her, and was screaming and pulling her hair. Nikki fought her off, and Shelley fell to the ground. Nikki yelled, Fuck off, Mom, don't you ever touch me, and then ran from the wrath of Shelley. Fortunately, she made it to the woods, and her mother didn't catch up to her, and Nikki spent the night outside. Shortly after that incident, Shelley told her that Sammy didn't want around the house anymore and that she was being sent to live with her Aunt Trish in Hope, British Columbia. It was supposed to only be for 10 days, but Nikki didn't want to return home. Months later, she did end up coming back to Washington, but she stayed in a tent near Dave's job site. Back at home, things were a bit quieter, but Sammy was still being abused, often covered in bruises. She decided she needed to make a move like her sister did. With the help of a friend, she packed up her belongings and ran away. Not sure where to go, Nikki advised her to get a hold of their grandmother, Laura, and that's where she stayed for the summer. She did go back to the Notech house, however, but this time with much more strength and confidence, and it was under the conditions that she could attend college for a teaching degree. The new college expenses combined with Shelley's spending habits landed the family in worse financial trouble that they... Hmm, worse financial trouble... Oh my god. <laughs> Wine mouth. <laughs> yep, I get it. It's all good. It happens. <laughs> Listen to my podcast. I'm so good at words. <laughs> words and wine, baby. Words and wine. <laughs> Shelly's spending habits landed the family in worse financial trouble than ever before. She would even empty the girls' bank accounts and try to take out loans with their social security numbers in order to support her shopping addiction. Shelly was always able to fend off collectors until Dave's money came in to pay them off. She, of course, would play the illness card to buy her some more time. Some excuses she used were her husband suffered a major heart attack, her eldest daughter had been fighting MS, her father is very ill, and her daughter has cancer. Here's a quote from the book when Shelley's car was impounded. She said, 
This has been a hard year for me. My daughter has cancer. I need to take her in for treatment in Olympia twice weekly. I left my job to be with her. My daughter is everything to me and she depends on me. I am not a criminal. And that just boils my blood <laughs> because uh -huh. these type of people are the ones that ruin it for others that actually need help. But nobody can be trusted anymore because of people like this. Right? Because you're going to be a piece of shit. And yep. And those are why that swear up and down that no, you can absolutely trust me 100%. And then those are always the ones that don't come through. Right? Yeah. Makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> with Sammy now gone to college, this left Tori, now around eight years old, alone with their mother. Not great. It was now her turn to endure Shelley's physical and psychological abuse. Here are a few examples of what would happen during this time. Shelley would destroy her homework so she would struggle in school. She once pulled Tori out of bed in the middle of the night, jumped on top of her, and demanded to know if she would ever commit suicide. Very strange. Shelley shoved her daughter into a radio, which cut open her head. She beat her with a fishing pole until it broke. Clothes were taken away, and Tori was left with only one dirty outfit to wear to school every day in order to humiliate. Oh my God, humiliate her! <laughs> and she made Tori know that Nikki and Laura were their sworn enemies. Once the girl hit puberty, the humiliation punishments became quite disturbing. I hate this part. Yeah, warning: yeah. it's creepy as hell. Mm -hmm. Once a month, Shelley would demand to see Tori's progress and examine her breasts. Sometimes she would examine her vagina as well. Once she demanded a lock of pubic hair so she could add it to Tori's baby book. Tori, of course, tried to refuse, but eventually Shelly made her comply. When Tori came out with it, her mom laughed in her face and said she just wanted to see if she could make her do it. I fucking hate that woman. Ugh, that part of the it. book just, oh, it was... Awful. Just imagine being a teenager and everything is confusing as shit anyways. And that okay. shit human being is making you feel worse. Yeah. Makes you feel shitty and like an awful person for not complying. And then when you do, laughs in your face. I know. I hate it. Tori wouldn't be the lone house guest for long, however. Shelly got a new job as a caseworker for the Olympic Area Agency on Aging in Raymond. And that's not probably a good thing <laughs> unfortunately mm -hmm. she made a new friend ron woodworth he was a nice guy that was helping an elderly woman rehome her cats he was confident with his unique style and had a quick sarcastic and intelligent personality ron had fallen on tough times however and he lost his home father partner and beloved cats shelly decided that they were going to take him in and get him back on his feet just like what she had done for Kathy. And just want to point out that getting him back on his feet, just remember that for later. I totally because thought that as soon as you said it. It's awful. So keep, keep feet in mind. <laughs> Always goes back to it's, feet. It's twisted. It's very twisted. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I put bump, bump, bump after that last <laughs> sentence, but I forgot to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> it was 1999 when Ron moved into the no-tech house, and it was all going well at first. But like Greg Olson says in the book, Shelley's initial warm welcome cooled quickly. 
I wrote cooked. I just noticed. <laughs> Welcome cooked quickly. Great job. Right away, the verbal and mental abuse started. It took the heat off of Tori, but for Ron, it went from bad to worse. He would be berated and hit almost every night. His meals consisted of toast, water, and a handful of sleeping pills. His personality, intellect, and humor were all lost. Just like Shelley had done to all of her other victims in the past, she took away all of his possessions, made him sleep on the floor, and put him to work in the yard. And she took away his bathroom privileges. Shelley lost her job as a caseworker in June of 2001. Big surprise. She was described... I don't know how she got that job in the first oh, place. But. I know. Another job she was applying for, she was like, I have the perfect temperament to work with special needs children. Fuck off, you So, dude. thank the Lord <laughs> that she didn't get that job because holy fuck. <laughs> right? She was described as erratic and defiant with her coworkers and either indifferent or overly involved with clients. This gave Shelley more time to stir the pot and give Ron more money, legal, and family troubles. With her help, Ron wrote letter upon letter to his ex-partner, mother, brother, and sister about how they killed and abandoned him and his cats. He cut ties with all of them, and Shelley was now the only person left in his life. At this time, Nikki found the strength to confide in her grandmother and tell her about Kathy. Laura phoned the local police, and Nikki shared what she knew in a letter that they faxed to the sheriff. They expected things to move quickly after that, but they never got a response. With her boyfriend's encouragement, she then went to Raymond to talk to Pacific County's sheriff deputy. She let her sister Sammy know what was in the works, and she even dropped the bombshell of her thoughts that their mom had killed Shane as well. Sammy always believed the story that she was fed from her parents, but maybe Nikki was right. When the sheriff deputy made attempts to contact Sammy, she ignored them. She figured that they already had all the information that they needed, and she didn't want to be responsible for putting her parents in jail. With no progress on the investigation, the abuse continued for Ron and Tori at the Notech house. For Tori, that meant having food withheld for her for days, getting torn out of bed in the middle of the night to do naked jumping jacks in the yard, or having to clean the property by stuffing all the garbage in her boots and underwear. Shelley was always the master of new and nonsensical punishments. <laughs> There's a cat. <laughs> oh yeah, my cat jumped on my lap. <laughs> I looked over at Michelle for a reaction, and there was just a cat face in the, in the video. <laughs> Hi, Hugo. <laughs> he wants to be on the podcast. He's so handsome. We haven't even introduced everybody to Hugo yet. I'll have to post a Hugo picture. <laughs> you should. Everybody's met Biggie now. So now they have to meet his twin brother <laughs> from another mother, right? <laughs> Hugo. Right? Yeah. Anyways. Sorry. <laughs> that was great. I'm always good with, uh, yeah, cat interrupting. Yes. Favorite. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't interrupted us yet. Like, yeah. this is the first time. So. Yes, that's pretty good. Tori was about 12 years old at this time, and she could see the change in Ron. The two became close, but Shelley, of course, did not like that. So they were banned from talking to each other. Nikki found out about the new house guest and was concerned history would repeat itself. Sammy assured her that she would keep an eye on things, 
but even Dave became concerned about Ron, as every time he would return home, he could see the man's condition deteriorating. He also noticed that Shelley had not only taken away his clothes, but his shoes as well. Shelley had such a hold over him that she didn't even need to do the beatings herself. She made him do it. She bullied him into punching his own face with both hands as hard as he could. Tori witnessed this once and could not believe how a person could inflict so much harm on themselves. Another punishment was making him drink his own urine when Shelley would find it in hidden bottles around the house, even though she was the reason he couldn't use the bathroom. Shelley began taking care of another person, James McClintock, who went by Mac. But this relationship was a bit different, as Shelley saw him as the father figure she never had. Tori also considered him family. It was actually now Ron's responsibility to take care of him. Shelley made him move in with the Pearl Harbor survivor, even though Mac wasn't fond of the idea considering Ron's sexuality. Shelley was thrilled when she learned that the old man was leaving her his estate. Well, once his beloved black lab, Sissy, was gone, that is. On February 9th, 2002, Tori received a call from her mother and she had some bad news. Mac had suffered a fall and was at the hospital. Shelley picked up Tori to take her to see Mac, but he died before they arrived. The death was a bit suspicious and the case was referred for further investigation after finding he died of, quote, a result of acute subdural hematoma caused by a blunt impact to the head. However, it was possible that a fall could have caused this injury, so nothing further came from the investigation. Shelley blames Ron for the incident, but she was nonetheless happy about her new inheritance. Of course, she had to wait until the dog died, but Sissy was old and wouldn't live for much longer. Well, turns out she didn't have to wait too long. Tori was told that the plan was to tell the lawyers that Sissy got hit by a car and died, and she needed to back up her mom's story. Tori didn't know what actually happened to the dog, but she was gone. She knew her mom could do terrible things to people, but she didn't believe that she could hurt an animal. I don't know. If you can do those things to a person, you definitely could do them to an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I that. There are some serial killers, though, that had a fondness for animals. Most of them, you know, tortured animals. But there are a couple rare ones that they yeah. really had a fondness for them. Yeah. Hitler loved his German shepherds. <laughs> True. And he was a bad person. So, Probably one of the worst. <laughs> yeah, one would say. <laughs> one could say. <laughs> In the spring of 2003, the Pacific County Sheriff's deputy made a trip to the Notech house to serve a restraining order against Ron from his mother. The police present brought back Shelley's paranoia about Kathy's disappearance. This fear was exacerbated when she received a letter in the mail that read, The gunshots you heard last night were from Kathy. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, she arose from the dead and is back to revenge you. Ashes to ashes. The family did hear gunshots the night before, and Shelley freaked out. The pop quizzes started again to make sure everyone remembered the details of Kathy's runaway. So very strange. Still don't know where that letter came from. Right. We never do find out. No, we never do, because I kept that in mind when I read the book the last time, but... I can't figure it out. And I was going to ask Greg Olson on Instagram, but then time got away from me. (laughs) Ah. Well, we could always do a a follow-up afterwards, I guess. That's true. Mm -hmm. I just want to see what his thoughts are on it, who he thinks Mm -hmm. left the note, because it's very strange. 
This fear did not stop Shelly from continuing the abuse on Ron. In fact, her and Dave started a punishment that is one of the most disturbing things I've ever heard. So squeamish people, be warned. One weekend, Tori watched her parents and Ron in the yard. Ron had fallen off the roof. She thought maybe it was because he was too weak or clumsy. But Dave ordered Ron to get up and do it again. And he did. Over and over, he would climb onto the deck balcony and throw himself off. Tori thought for sure he had broken a leg. She witnessed this happening again a separate time, but with Shelley yelling the demands. Ron repeatedly jumped off the roof onto the gravel, wearing only underwear. He was crying and his feet were bleeding. What was just as bad, or maybe even worse, was how Shelley tended to his wounds. Here is a quote from the book because I tried to write it myself and I just couldn't quite find the words. So this is what it says. Shelly took a pan of hot water off the stove, steam rising as she carried it out to the pole building. Tori heard Ron yelp as Shelly and Dave made him plunge his bruised and bloodied feet into a combination of hot water and bleach. End quote. Oh, it gives me the willies. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ugh. Years later, Tori could still remember the smell of bleach mixed with decomposing and burning flesh. Dave claimed he had no idea that bleach was bad for human skin and said that Shelly probably didn't know that either. (laughs) Uh, I read the book three times and every time I read that part, I was basically like screaming and like, yeah, (laughs) I know. My husband got really mad at me because I started talking about the book one night and this came up and he was like, I never want to hear about this. So you need to stop right now. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's the line. Hey. Yeah. That's the line. Yeah. I really wanted to tell Wiley as well. But then I was like, "Uh, he doesn't like any true crime thing. I don't think he wants to hear about this either. Yeah, no, he got really mad. (laughs) Yeah. If it disturbs me, then it's pretty bad. So (laughs) Ron was becoming a burden to Shelly and she wanted him gone maybe drop him off at a homeless shelter or something. Dave said that wasn't a good idea, and Ron didn't want to go either. Instead, Shelley took him to Mac's house so he could rest. She said that she would check on him multiple times a day, but Tori never once seen or heard her mom leave the yard. Then, surprisingly, Shelley decided Tori could spend a few days together with her sister Sammy. Another surprise was Nikki would be there too. However, Shelley was unaware of that detail. Finally, Tori could see for herself that her oldest sister was not the evil monster that her mom had told her about for years. While Tori was out of the house, Shelly made a call to Dave, saying he had to come home immediately and something was wrong. Dave didn't have to ask. He knew in his gut that Ron was dead. Shelly claimed she had found him on the back porch, and after failing to revive him, she dragged him into the pole shed and dressed him in fresh clothes ones that he was never allowed to wear when he was still alive. She then put his body in the freezer and called Dave. The couple agreed they couldn't go to the police because they would have been blamed for all the cuts and bruises on his body. Hmm, you don't say. (laughs) No shit. (laughs) Like, they're gonna think that we abused him, and that's not right. But you did. Now they had another body to get rid of. Apparently, it didn't get easier the more times Dave did it, and this time he couldn't cremate Ron as there was a fire ban on. Instead, he buried the body. 
He knew it wasn't a permanent solution, but it would have to do for now. As a cover story, the couple decided that Ron took a bus to San Diego where he's going to look for a job. As a backup scenario, they discussed how Ron could have committed suicide. Interesting, because, you know, there was no body there, so don't know Mm -hmm. what their plan would have been with that one, but okay. Right. While Sammy and Tori were spending time together, Sammy learned the horrifying truth that both Tori and Ron were being abused at home. She always tried to check in with her sister to make sure everything was fine. Tori didn't tell her the details as she thought it only happened to her and assumed that Nikki and Sammy had happy childhoods. Sammy called Nikki to inform her right away. The sisters pondered their options and wondered if the youngest could wait for a few more years, but she couldn't. Tori wanted out. Upon returning home, Shelley informed her that Ron had gotten a job. She knew that this meant he was dead. The next morning, Tori set out to find evidence to prove that something happened to Ron. She found a pile of clothes and bloody bandages sitting on top of the freezer. She hid some of the clothes in the chicken house. She also found the spot where the body had been buried but she assumed he was cremated like Kathy, and it was just the ashes that were placed there. In August of 2003, Nikki and Sammy went to the Pacific County Sheriff together. This time, going to the police was different. Their story was taken seriously. Child Protective Services was going to get Tori out of there the next day. When they did, Shelley and Dave went insane. They still had Ron's body on their property, and they wanted to know who talked. Laura, who had been talking to investigators as well, reminded the girls that Shelley will try to plant ideas in their minds and not to fall for it, and it was important that they didn't even talk to her. Dave went to the Pacific County Sheriff's Office to find Tori. Instead, to his surprise, he was interviewed about Ron and Kathy. They started to chip away at his story, and eventually he broke down. He admitted to disposing of Ron and Kathy's bodies. With this information, of course, Dave was arrested and the deputies picked up Shelley at Max's house. Ironically, this all happened on Kathy Loreno's birthday. The day after the arrest, Dave made another confession. He admitted to killing Shane. I don't know why it was so surprising to me, but I was actually surprised by that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was really? Like, I was like... It was like, yeah, they probably killed him, but like... Maybe they didn't. (laughs) Maybe he just, like, you know, got out of there and they were done with them. So they tried to, like, you know, oh, he gave us a birdhouse. Like, I knew that was bullshit. But I was, like, hoping (laughs) for some reason, you know, that that was was not how it happened. But, of course, that's what happened. (laughs) Of course. After after Shelly convinced Dave to beat Ron – or not Ron. Shane. um, Shane. I I was like, oh, Dave's going to kill him. Yeah. I had a feeling. Had a feeling. He claimed he had found Shane playing with the rifle in the pole building, and when the boy refused to hand it over, Dave tried to wrestle it away, but the gun went off. I don't know about you, Michelle, but I have a feeling that's not how things went down. I just don't think that's accurate. (laughs) So back in 1994, after Kathy had passed away, Shelly was constantly on Dave's case about her concern that Shane would be the one to tell. They had to do something about it. Shelly wasn't wrong. Shane did plan on doing something. He even showed Nikki some Polaroid photos of Kathy, bruised, naked, and on the floor that he had taken from their mom. Shane was planning on going to the police, and Nikki agreed to be in on it. But she started having second thoughts when she considered how it would affect the family, so she told Shelly about the pictures. 
Shelly raged and told Dave. They beat Shane badly. Nikki felt guilty and blamed herself for what happened. The beating wasn't enough, however. Shelly wanted him dead, and she wanted Dave to do it. Nothing happened for a while, but Shelly didn't forget and continued to hound Dave. So late one night in February 1995, Dave got his 22 rifle, went to the pole building, and shot his nephew in the back of the head. When he told Shelly he did what she had wanted him to do, she acted shocked and asked him why he would kill their nephew. <laughs> Such a bad person. She's a terrible human being. Dave now has to clean the bloody mess and dispose of the body. Once the girls were out of the house, he burnt the body like he did with Kathy's and dumped the ashes into the ocean. The couple then reported to the police that Shane had run away. They were told to just let it go. After Shelley and Dave were arrested, the media went wild. The girls promised they wouldn't talk to anyone, though. Sammy fortunately was able to get guardianship of Tori right away. Shelley was still able to have some control over her middle daughter, though. She had Sammy send her things to help her out in jail. In February 2004, Dave Notek pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, unlawful disposal of human remains, and rendering criminal assistance. He was sentenced to just under 15 years in prison. Shelley entered what is called an Alfred plea of guilty to all charges, which basically means the defendant pleads guilty yet asserts innocence at the same time. This also meant that they avoided going to trial. Shelley Notek was sentenced to 22 years in prison for second-degree murder and manslaughter. Dave was released from prison in 2016. He still has a relationship with his two younger daughters, Sammy and Tori. Shelley will be released from prison in June of 2022. Nikki has a beautiful family and a home in Seattle. Sammy returned to her hometown where she is a teacher and a mother. Tori is living in Central Oregon and has a successful career. The book, If You Tell, ends with the words, Sisters Forever, Victims No More. And that is the story of the Raymond torture killings. Ah, oh, it's over. <sighs> That's a lot. And now Way I'm, too much. I'm hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hot. <sighs> so, Michelle, how do you feel after all of that? Um, gross. Me My too. stomach hurts. I uh, just relived it all again. It's not so mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. I have many feels. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, just the feet thing in particular <laughs> was oh, so me. gross. Just picturing like bruised and cut open and like probably like bone and everything just sticking out right. and having and to repeatedly jump onto gravel like over and over again. I can't even, I can't and imagine. Then, and then the bleach and the boiling water. I know. Oh. Like, just, man. Hurts my soul. And yeah. I left out a lot of detail. <laughs> You did. There's a lot more detail to that. So if you want to read more about burning feet, <laughs> pick up a book. Pick up a book. Yep, it's we don't want to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm, it's, I'm surprised that this case isn't more well-known. I was just going to say that. Like, I'm so surprised that this was the first that I'd heard about it. Yes. And, and even... They, even when I post about it, like on our social media and I look through the hashtags mm -hmm. and everything, like, uh, like with this topic, there's like 
nothing. There's a couple of posts on each. Like it's not, it's not a thing. I have a feeling, well, I have a thought about that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because she, Alfred, plead. I absolutely think that's why. Because if she went through a trial, everybody would know about this story. But she took the easy way out and was like, yeah, sure, I'm guilty, but I'm not. Yes, I 100% agree with that. She And I think that, yeah, I find the Alfred plea can be really frustrating, but also really beneficial. Like it's worked out really well in cases like the West Memphis Three, where they'd been in jail on death row, you know, and they finally Alfred plead because it came into fruition or whatever. And they all were able to get out. And yeah, I didn't know know, that. I I believe that they're innocent. So yeah. (laughs) That's for another episode. <laughs> That's for another day. But I think if she'd had gone through a trial, mm-hmm. she probably wouldn't be getting out in 2022. No. And she, everybody would know about her. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. yeah, she still, to this day, she says that she didn't understand what that would mean and um she's not guilty and blah, blah, blah. Of course, that's what she's Mm -hmm. saying. But really, like that was the most beneficial thing for her. Otherwise, they would have to go through all of these details in the trial. Mm -hmm. And it didn't come out until now. And I've read that the reason why the story came out now and why the sisters approached Greg Olson to write the story is because of their mother getting out soon. And they want people Mm -hmm. to know what she did. And well, they don't want her to get out at all. But if she does, no. they want people to be aware and they think that she would kill again. So they want to make sure that all the details are out there. And it's not just kill. Like, it's torture and kill. Like, it's exactly. It, yeah. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't talk about it too much, but there was a section in the back of the book that was fascinating. Um, it was by Dr. Catherine Ramsland, who is a professor of forensic psychology. And she discusses the children of serial killers and how their parents can have such an intense hold of them. And it was super interesting. Yeah, I, re- I read that part like three times because I was just like soaking it all in. Mm-hmm. And just how she, like her description of Shelly as a sadist and like that description in itself, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it, was, it was neat. And she talked about other serial killers that they're it's mostly daughters that seem to be kind of reaching out and talking about it more publicly Uh for some reason. And, um, you know, there's the serial killer's daughter, which is a book that we have that, you know, Uh might read one day, but that's from, that's the daughter of the BTK killer. So yeah, yeah. Dennis Rader is, it's all, it was, yeah, very interesting. I love that side of true crime is the, Uh the forensic psychology. Uh Yeah. Um, did you do any more digging into the case once you were done reading the book? Did you Google it? Uh, I did. Yeah. I, I Googled and I read whatever articles I could find, but there were like, there wasn't a huge amount of information on it. Right. So Mm -hmm. I definitely went and looked at what Shelly looks like and what, you know, Kathy and Ron look like and Dave, of course. And I was really actually happy to see that there wasn't many pictures of Nikki, Sammy, and Tori. That's true. On the internet. Yeah. They've gone through enough. Like their faces don't need to be plastered all Absolutely. over. Uh, yeah. I, 
I have, of course, like (laughs) I look at the pictures because I'm interested and I want to put a face to the story, but Mm -hmm. I absolutely want to respect their privacy and try to give them as normal of a life as as possible, even though I'm sure that's quite difficult when you've had a life like this, but they deserve their privacy and and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I found on my deep dive, I found um, an episode of Wicked, Wicked Attraction called Home Sweet Home. It was season three, episode two, and it was about this case. That was, from what I saw, that was the only, I don't know, show about it. There could absolutely be more. I mean, I didn't look too hard into it, but that was the only show that I saw that had covered this case. Um, mm-hmm. So so I watched that. It was, I mean, it was pretty good, but again, it doesn't have all of these details because all these details weren't in the light mm-hmm. until this book came out. So Right, they came from the girls. Right, exactly. So it was more like, this is Kathy Lurino and this is who she was and she went missing and you know, this is where she was staying. And it did talk about, I don't know. They talked about Shelly and Dave and how manipulative Shelly was and awful things she would do, but it would just not at all to the extent of what she actually did. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found a, an interesting article and it's called dog adds twist to the case. And so I was like, Oh, this is about it's obviously uh, about Sissy, which was mm-hmm. Mac's beloved yeah. black lab. So I thought it was going to be something bad. But actually, apparently, um, hopefully this video doesn't start playing. We don't need that. Um, apparently, the dog Sissy was actually found alive and well at a local shelter. And it oh, also really? included some other animals from the no-tech residences as well. So see what I mean? when sometimes not all serial killers hurt animals. Yeah, I don't know. Sissy was okay. That makes me happy. Yeah, me too. Always like when the animals make it out okay. (laughs) Yes. It's always important. And then, so I said before, because, you know, Craig Olson, like, does on Instagram and all this stuff, and I was going to reach out and talk to him, but all the questions that I have, I actually found in another interview. And it was on a soccer mom's book blog. It was a really good interview. Like it is just like, you know, type responses, but I'm like, oh, these are all the things that I really wanted to ask Greg. Oh, cool. They're already there. So I'm just going to pull it up here so I can look at it. Um, They asked questions like, uh, had you known about the story before? And did the No Tech sisters contact you or how did that work? And so he talked about that. He had a vague recollection of the, the case. Um, but the girls did approach him. Um, they wanted to tell their story, but putting it from words to page was too painful. So they mm-hmm. contacted him to take everybody's story and kind of compile it. Mm-hmm. So pretty cool. Uh, oh, the one that I really wanted to know was what was it like interviewing Dave? That's what I wanted to, <laughs> to ask right? mostly. Because I was like, obviously he had to have interviewed Dave with the responses in the book. Like mm-hmm. it, it was very obvious. Um, And so that response was very interesting. Um, He said he didn't want to be seen as an apologist for Dave, but he thinks that he was a good man who ended up um, in in a bad situation doing Shelley's bidding uh, through her relentless assaults on him. And uh, getting to know him, he sees a man that is very remorseful and he thinks that Shelley is the evil one, obviously. Um, he only talked to Greg because 
his daughters told them that he needed to. So that was pretty interesting. I thought that was, I don't know, neat. Um, They said that he owed him that much. Uh, He was very soft-spoken and not in great health, but grateful that Sammy and Tori kept them in his, in their lives. So that's interesting. Very interesting. I hope that um, Dave was able to get some counseling and stuff while he was incarcerated. Yeah. And hopefully continues to do some counseling. I mean, that is supposed to be the point of prison is rehabilitation. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even if he is a bad dude, he should still get counseling, especially because now he's out and about. (laughs) Right. So we can only hope that it did help to rehabilitate him in some sense. Hopefully. Generally, eh, does that usually happen? Not usually, but one can hope. Right. Um, Let's see. Okay. They asked, what good do you hope to see coming from this book? Um, He said he's already seen it in some reviews and people are sending messages of love to the sisters, acknowledging their own abuse and vowing to keep reminding themselves to be more vigilant when it comes to intervening when abuse is suspected. So I like that response a lot. Oh, that's beautiful. I like that. Do the sisters have any kind of advice for kids who may be going through something similar, even if it is not as extreme? He said, we talked about that a lot. It circles back to the title of the book. Shelley held it over their heads that if they told, terrible things would happen to the family. The truth, of course, was completely the opposite. If you tell, someone can help you. Oh, that's really my sweet. heart. I know. He just had such great answers. So I was like, oh, well, now I don't really, don't really need to chat with them because those are the things I wanted to know. Yeah. But I, I might still send him a message and tell him that he's fantastic. <laughs> well, we, yeah, we think he's amazing. So. Yeah, totally. And yeah, so that's what I found on my deep dive. I thought that was, that was pretty fun. There wasn't a whole bunch of stuff to, to get into, but what I did find was, was pretty neat. I think, I don't know, I think more people will be talking about it now that this book is out. I guess I did get a message. I won't say who it's from, but I did get a message from a person that um, is close to this case, grew up in the same town, um, knew one of the victims and all that stuff. So that was very, very kind of that person to reach out and just acknowledge us and and kind of share a little bit of what they know about the story. Um, yeah. So uh, it was just, it was so neat. Um, really humbling to yeah. just put real people. like Exactly. In, right? Like people that are talking to us. I mean, not that I'm saying that anybody in this case is not real, but just like yeah. every day, you know, somebody like you and me is just like, hey, I actually know this. Yeah. Absolutely. And we talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about it in the last episode about how you have to constantly remind yourself that these are real people because this is just such an extreme, absurd case that it's, it's easy to forget that these are real people. But when somebody Mm -hmm. else who is just in that town and seen it happen and went to the trial, is just like, makes you realize like, Oh man, like this affects real people. And Mm -hmm. yeah, kind of have to, you know, be respectful. Watch what you say. Like everything that I started typing was like, oh, I gotta be respectful with this because like these are real people. Not that I, you know, yeah. I don't want to be disrespectful, but you just, it's a good reminder how real this is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I feel the same way. And 
I will say all sorts of terrible things about the shit human beings that do these crimes, but I have nothing but sympathy and respect for these victims and the people that live through it. So absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she had really nice things to say about like Sammy because Sammy still lives in the, in their hometown. So mm-hmm. how strong of a woman she is for, for still being there. Um, even though it must be so incredibly difficult and having a big enough heart to just still have a relationship with her dad. So yeah. So that was really yeah. nice. It was just like ugh, the most incredible thing that's, yeah. that they reached out. I just, I love that so much. So if you're listening, thank you so much. Thank you. you thank you. You are a wonderful human being and I wish you all the best. Yes, me too. Yeah. Well, I think I'm ready for some fluff and stuff. How about you, Tara? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. First, I'll ask my question, but then I want to explain my reasoning for my question. So today I'm going to ask, how would an author describe you in a book? And I thought I was so clever (laughs) with this question. I was like, "Ah, that's a good one. So I thought of this because of how Ron was described in this book. It was just so perfect and painted such a clear picture um, that I started wondering if I was ever a character in a book, hopefully not a murder, true crime book, <laughs> unless More I'm- More like party. a comic book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unless I'm like, you know, a hero or an investigator. I don't exactly want to be a part of a true crime book, but- <laughs> Right. But I wondered how would an author describe me? And I was hoping- Not like how Ron was described with the belly that hung over his belt, like a fanny pack, but you know. (laughs) I loved that description. It just was like such, such a good image. You know, it, it really painted a picture. So I was like, man, that's, it's a fun thing to think about. Right. And now every time I see a dude with the belly like that, that's what I'm going to think of. Nice flappy fanny pack, man. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So Michelle, do you have, I, I texted you a couple of days ago so you could prepare because this is not one, an on the spot kind of question. If you asked me on, no. the, on the spot, how would, <laughs> this question, I would be like, are you freaking serious? <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you do this to me? So I gave you some heads up on this one. So you texted me and I was a couple margaritas deep and I was like, I can't answer that right now. But I kind of pulled my family that I was with. And my husband's like, I can't answer this. I don't know. And I was like, but you know me the best. And he's like, I'm not a writer. I don't eh. <laughs> And so I, I got some answers back from some friends of mine. And this is what I came up with. I would be described as average height, brown hair, usually in a ponytail or a mom bun, curvy but strong, and always cheery. Quiet but ferociously protective of her people, loves animals and nature, but loves her kids more than anything and speaks fluent sarcasm and curse words. I love that. <laughs> That's very accurate. <laughs> when one of our mutual friends described me as ferociously protective of my people, I was like, damn right I am. I'm Absolutely. That. <laughs> that 100% is Michelle. Like I've seen it with her family and with her work family. Like, yes, <laughs> you're protective <laughs> and it's fantastic. <laughs> I'm a mama bear. It's cool. <laughs> yes. You're a great mama bear. Yes. Okay. So what's yours? Okay. Well, this is my question. I thought I was so smart. And then I realized that I half finished it. And then so when I called Michelle today to record, I realized I didn't actually finish it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just threw a bunch of things on a piece of paper. So don't judge me. <laughs> It'll be great. 
it starts out strong, ends weak. (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote, her attitude is bigger than she is. As her parents always say, tiny but tough. Tara isn't one to be too concerned about her fashion choices. She's usually content with jeans, a sweater, and a dirty pair of boots. Her hair is long and unstyled. However, she always has her makeup done. Whether she is going to work, playing soccer, or going hunting, it's a comfort thing. And sorry, that's not very long, but that's just me. <laughs> I loved it. I'm just like nodding my head along like, yep, yep, that's Tara. Yep, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> Uh, the tiny but tough thing, like my parents always say that. And it was really embarrassing because I was at a continuing education course once for a vet thing. And we had to, they made us go around and use like one, like a word or two words that described you that had the same initial, like your same letter as your first initial. Well, there you go. And it was kind of lame, but then I was like, ah, oh, I'm tiny but tough. Like, that's what my parents always say, and it's kind of cute and funny. And then I said it, and everybody's just, like, looking at me like, who's this fucking weirdo? (laughs) I was just like, oh, that was super embarrassing. Shut up. I'm tiny but tough. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I don't feel so tough anymore. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what that made me think of. That's excellent. I love it. Yeah. So, I yeah, I would love to hear if anybody wants to be creative and – and Seriously, pull pull your friends. They tell you the truth. I feel like, I don't know. I'd be nervous to ask my friends. I mean, pull your good friends. Like, your good friends. You know. Oh, yeah. Wiley, he would say some shit. <laughs> yeah. He would be like, um, Tara's hair is always in a rat's nest, and sometimes she pulls twigs from it, even though she hasn't been outside for days. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which literally happened when I was self-isolating. <laughs> <laughs> so you would not have kind things to say. <laughs> Right. Um, Desbo described me as she always has cross stitch strings on her back and I have to pick them off of her. So, you know, because <laughs> again, I'm an old lady. Yeah. Old lady life is the life for me. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So that's oh, the best. Please tell us your responses. It, it just, I don't know seems fun <laughs> yes I would say, like ask us to describe you but I'm not very creative so I don't think I'd be very good at it <laughs> um sorry did you say you're not very creative <laughs> yeah my word Tara so makes good. the most beautiful art you could <laughs> ever imagine and she just said she's not very creative oh, so very if creative. I could throw something at her right now I would well that's very kind and since you mention it um you can follow my craft page on instagram (laughs) i don't even know what the handle is but it's i think it's on point on point decor on underscore point underscore decor and i make Mm -hmm. crafts (laughs) so if you want to see my crafts i hardly post but i don't know just in case she makes art out of porcupine quills i do and she paints beautiful pictures and string art and my God, she's so talented. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Mm-hmm. You did a like cross-stitchy thing the other day too, but like the really intense kind that I don't know what it's actually called. Yeah, it's just embroidery. Embroidery. It's and beautiful. I had so much fun doing that, but I, it hurt my hands and my arm so bad. Like oh. I had to stop for a couple of days because my fingers hurt because it's a sharper needle and I have to like pull like really hard through the fabric and like my forearm muscle was like so cramped up I had to like stop but yeah I was really happy with how it turned out I've never done anything like that before so getting some old lady arthritis there <laughs> right this is why old ladies have arthritis because they spend all their days stitching 
True. <laughs> Stitching and bitching. Stitching and bitching. It's what we do best. <laughs> All right. Talking about true crime. <laughs> right? All right. Well, take it away. Make sure to answer our question and let us know about the episode, of course. Um, you can email us at murderandmerlot at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at Murder and Merlot Podcast, Facebook at Murder and Merlot Podcast, and Twitter at Murder and Merlot One. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. We would love if you subscribed, and if you don't, you're dead to me. And I guess this means we get to announce our next book that we're covering. Ooh, so exciting. Drum roll. Yeah. So we are reading The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Which, of course, is the story of the serial killer, H.H. Holmes, and the construction of his murder castle. So if you want to read along, go grab a book. Or if you just want to hear the crazy details, stick around and we'll tell you all about the case. Murder castle, by the way. Goals. Just <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> it sounds terrifying. It does. I'm, well, if I'm you're it and reading it and if you're a guest of the murder castle, yeah, it's terrifying. If you own the murder castle, I don't know. Sounds pretty cool. Should I be worried about you? <laughs> no, I just feel like my murder castle wouldn't be like for murdering people. It would be to talk about murder. <laughs> Obviously. It would be like the Banff Springs Hotel with like all of the cool people in it. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Sign me up. But now I feel like it's going to be haunted. Well, because anyway. Banff Springs is. I know. So... That's why I thought of that. I'm like, oh, now he gave me spooky vibes. And I, I don't know. Anything vibes. called Murder Castle is probably going to have spooky vibes. Probably want... a little haunted. I want chill vibes for my Murder Castle, okay? Just <laughs> let me have this. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> so I guess that's it for today, guys. That's awesome. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>